You are listening to the Kensington Church Podcast, recorded live in Metro Detroit. To learn more about Kensington, visit kensingtonchurch.org. Good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. If you've never been here before, uh, my name is Matthias. I'm one of the worship pastors around here. Um, and uh, you guys can go ahead and have a seat and take a look at this video. Hey, welcome to church. 
Whether it's the first time you're checking out Kensington or you're one of the families who have been here for 30 years, we are thankful God led you here to this community of imperfect people united in Jesus. If you are new and want to learn more about what we're all about, connect with us on social media, download the app, check out the website, and please get in touch. We would love to connect with you personally. If you're wondering what's going on at Kensington this month, I'm here to tell you about one of my all-time favorite serving opportunities that's been uniting and blessing local families for more than 26 years. This year, we'll deliver 1,500 Thanksgiving baskets to reach more than 8,000 people in our school partner communities who could use an extra serving of joy around their table. The baskets contain non-perishable items and a Meyer gift card to give families an opportunity to purchase the foods they love for their own traditional Thanksgiving meal. To support this mission, wobble on over to kensingtonchurch.org to find baskets which are $50 each, and register to help fill baskets or personally deliver a basket to a family's front door. Even among the challenges we are all facing in 2020, our church family continues to live open-handedly and serve with a grateful heart. For that, we are so grateful. Thank you for showing up to church today for the second week in the How to Take a Hit series. Let's see what God has in store for us today. If you don't know what that was, that was a little setup for where we're headed here in a minute. But I just want to say welcome. Some of you don't know me. My name's Dave Wilson. I've been here in a couple weeks, but I'm still around. You can't get rid of this bald guy, uh, even though you're, you want to. Uh, but we're glad to be back with you. Uh, I'll be back in a few weeks as well. And then December rolls in. We're, you know, we're heading toward Christmas, which is, which is crazy. Uh, but what you just watched in our, in our greeting is something that's not going to stop during COVID, and that's Thanksgiving and Thanksgiving baskets, and we're going to be able to help out families. And so it's a beautiful uh, time of year to be the church, even though the church obviously looks different right now. You know, most of our people are watching us still at home right now. And you think that we can't do things in the community, we still can, and we can be a blessing. So I want to invite you to that. And I also want to say this, if, uh, if you're new here, you can join in and give if you want, but this is really a moment for Kensington people where we take the offering. We're not going to pass a pouch. We just do it uh, like this now online, and thank God for that because you've been so faithful and generous, and Kensington continues to go, and we get to do things like Thanksgiving baskets because so many of you give. But if you are new and you're like, man, I want to jump in, uh, that's how you do it. It's just simple. That's how I do it, and uh, uh, a simple way to go. All right, so as we're talking about how to take a hit, part two, I thought I'd start here because how to take a hit is like when you go through a year like we've gone through, how about this? When you go through a, through a week like we just went through, right? I mean, unbelievable election week and all the things going on with that. And, you know, I thought one of the, be- the right things to do to start today is to pray. Um, number one, pray for uh, our new president and vice president and the future of this country and the future of the world, really. So let's just pause for a second, and would you, would you pray with me? Father God, as we... Uh, as we even talked about a, a, a month, six weeks ago here in the series, um, our hope is not in a person. Our hope is not in a political party. Our hope is in Jesus. And we need to restate that even as we walk into a new year and a, uh, with a new leader. And so, Lord, we, you command us to pray and to pray for our our world, our nation, our leaders, our government leaders. So I pray for our new president and vice president. I pray for wisdom, supernatural wisdom. I pray for strength. And Lord, I pray for unity. I pray for unity in our homes, in our family rooms, our kitchens. I pray for unity in our neighborhoods. I pray for unity in our cities. City of Detroit, every city. I pray for unity in our states, our country. Our world, God, I pray that as you always have done, you make yourself known right now and in the future as we step into a a new future that is so unclear and so unknown. We need to trust you, and we will. And so, Lord, we put you right where you've never left, on the throne in control, and we find our hope and our help only from you through Jesus, and we thank you for him, and in his name we pray, 
Amen. And I hope you continue uh, to pray for our country and for the Detroit Lions to win the game. Just kidding. Just kidding. Just thought I'd throw a little humor in there. They actually play today. It's going to be an interesting day. But anyway, more importantly than that, as you think about how to take a hit, we started last week. Craig was here, Craig, and, you know, I, I actually was watching, and, you know, right here we had a boxing ring because it's sort of on this boxing metaphor in a, in a you know, I've never been much of a boxer, but, you know, you need to know how to take a hit to survive in the ring. And I do have an interesting story. When I was in middle school, Ann sitting right here, she, we weren't even dating yet. I was in middle school. Believe it or not, I had hair, and I also had braces. Anybody else have braces? I mean, today it's a whole different world with that, but, you know, it was a big thing, and I had them on my mouth, and I had my two front teeth knocked out. I had a surgery and had to bring them down. It's a long story. Anyway, I had these braces, and my best friend was a guy named Bob Lambert, and he was uh, in seventh, eighth grade. He was six foot. I was probably five, two or three. I don't know. I was little. He was big. He ended up being an offensive lineman with me in our, at our high school. So Bob was my, one of my best friends. He's over at my house. We're down in our basement. And I had two brothers at that time were, were often married by that time, and they had left some boxing gloves. So, and there were two pairs of boxing gloves. So he put on a pair, and I put on a pair. And we decided, let's, have a, let's, let's like box, right? And neither one of us has ever done this. So we're getting ready to box, and he's like taller than me, and I think he's really going to hurt me. So you won't believe this. I say to him, listen, Bob, you can't hit me in the face because I have braces. And he goes, what do you mean? I go, you can't, you can't do this. You, just, you can hit me anywhere you want. Don't touch my face. He goes, what about my face? I go, you don't have braces? So we started boxing. All I remember is like running away from him because he was so big and he's hit me in the chest and he's hit me in the shoulders and he's, he's obeying the rules like not hit me. And I could barely hit the guy. I was like swinging. So finally, I don't know how it happened. I got near him and as hard as I could, I swung and I caught him right under the chin and knocked him out. He went down for like five minutes. No, it was like five seconds. But anyway, he went down. And his, you know, then he, he got up. And I just, as soon as he did that, he threw off the gloves. <laughs> and I ran out of the basement. I was so scared. That's my boxing moment and the only one of my life. You can't hit me because I got braces, but I can hit you. You know what? It gets worse. I was thinking about this uh, later when I put this illustration in my notes. I thought, poor guy. Bob ends up at our high school. Senior year, he's my left tackle. Before that senior year, that summer, I, I was the quarterback, so I needed to throw balls. And across the street, there's this church with this big backyard. So I threw passes to Bob because I couldn't get a lot of receivers. He ran routes for me all summer. And at the end of the summer, he said, listen, dude, you've got to throw me one pass in the season. Tackles don't go out for passes. They block. And I said, dude, I'll do better than that. I'm going to figure out a way to throw you a touchdown. We get into week nine. We're undefeated. We're playing a really good ranked team. This is Ohio football. That's where they play football, by the way, you, you Wolverines. <laughs> what was yesterday ugly? Anyway, because um, I'm a Buckeye. So, you know, we're down there, and we put in a tackle eligible just for Bob. This is his one play of the year. Some of you know tackle eligible sort of a trick play. You're only going to run it once, maybe twice a season. We get it on the goal line from the five-yard line. And, you know, it's a thing you got to line up right, and they don't cover it. So Bob runs, I can still see him. He turns around the back of the end zone. He's looking at me like this. He's 6'4", and I bat, nobody's on me, and I go, I throw this baby, right over his head. Went, he's like, ah. my poor buddy, Bob Lambert. I knocked him out, and then I don't throw him a pass in high school. Nobody's feeling bad for him? I thought we'd have a little fun as we started today, because it's been a tough week, right? Anyway... With that as a, a, a sort of humorous background, I'm going to shift gears because it has been a year of taking hits. Am I right? It's almost been a year of getting knocked out. I mean, I literally, yesterday, wrote down on my phone, two, 2020, the year of hits. And I, I, I'm not even going to come close. All I did was write one words that every one of us have emotions about when we hear these words. That 50 years from now, people won't have the emotions we have, or 20 years, or 10 years, but we all do. And man, it's a year of hits. It's been hard. Possibly the hardest year of any of our lives. I don't know, but it's been tough. I mean, I just wrote down like COVID, ventilators, Brianna, protests, canceled, stimulus, Arbery, protest. Unemployment, Floyd, 
riots, statues, fires, division, BLM, anger, protest, hate, masks, Karens, <laughs> NBA, baseball, politics, debates, football, election. I could keep going, right? Every one of those words. I almost put toilet paper, you know, but it's two words. I didn't know if you'd get it just from toilet, but I mean, if you think of just those words, and, I, and I'm sure I didn't even capture the names and the events. I didn't come close. I could do this all morning, right? Don't have time. But at the end of that, I wrote this. God, question mark, where are you? Why are you letting this happen? Anybody ask those, those kind of questions? I think we all have. It's been a hard year. It's a really hard year. Ann said to me yesterday as we started to pull out some Christmas decorations, she's like, this will be my first year without my mom. Toot passed in a nursing home a couple months ago. Her dad's close as well, and nobody can visit. And he's the biggest extrovert you'll ever meet in your life. You would love Dick Barron in two minutes because he would love you, and nobody can sit with him in his room. It's the worst way to go through a pandemic. It's bad enough to go through a pandemic. To go through it alone, and some of you are going through it alone, is a hard, hard year. It's a year of hits, and it doesn't seem like it's going to end anytime soon. Am I right? And I tell you what, when you go through those kind of things, you need to feel it, and you need to cry out to God, God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen? It's okay to pray those kind of prayers. In fact, I don't know why, going into 2020, I picked the book of Psalms to be my Bible reading this year. <laughs> the Psalms are the perfect book for this year. I didn't know it going in, but they are the perfect book for this year because the Psalms are laments, most of them, where they're crying out to God and asking questions and confusion and anger and crying out and saying, God, where are you? And then often by the end of that Psalm, they get a perspective, but it's healthy. It's really healing to do that. It's one of the reasons we're doing this series. And today is sort of about the pain of taking hit after hit after hit. And so we, th we decided we'd give you just a couple minutes through a video to just feel that. And if you want, pray during this video. What you're going to see at the beginning is one of our artists saying some words. Some of you won't realize that these are actually the Psalms in very uh, speakable, readable form, the message version. They're literally out of Psalm 55 and Psalm 69. And then you hear a song that talks about God being in, in the middle of our pain. But use this moment just to sort of go like this and sort of go, okay, God, I need to say what the psalmist is saying, and I need to feel what this video helps me feel. So take a journey through this video. God, God, save me. I'm in over my head, quicksand under me, swamp water over me. Open your ears, God, to my prayer. I'm hoarse from calling for help, bleary-eyed from searching the sky for God. My insides are turned inside out. Specters of death have me down. I shake with fear. I shudder from head to foot. Who will give me wings, I ask. Wings like a dove. Open your ears, God, to my prayer. My jaws ache from gritting my teeth. I'm nothing but skin and bones. I'm like a buzzard in the desert, a crow perched on the rubble. Insomniac, I twitter away. Mournful as a sparrow in the gutter, my bed has been floating 40 days and nights. On the flood of my tears, my mattress is soaked, soggy with tears. The sockets of my eyes are black holes. Nearly blind, I squint and grope. I'm tired of all this. So tired. Open your ears, God, to my prayer. I pray to God my life a prayer and wait for what he will say and do. My life's on the line before God, my Lord, waiting and watching till morning. Waiting and watching till morning. Come close and whisper your answer. I really need you. 
interesting as I've been uh, reading through the Psalms, that's sort of the journey most of the Psalms take. It's sort of a cry out in confusion and the why question and the what and where, how long. And yet most of the time, not every time, but I'd say 98% of the time, by the end of that Psalm, whether it's five or six verses or 30 or 40 verses, the psalmist has gotten to this perspective that was in that song. Even in the midst of this, you are still faithful. Sometimes it's really hard to see through the fog and the darkness, but there's a light that's still there. And yet, I think it's interesting, as we're going to talk about a little bit today, is, is once you give your life to Christ, if you're anything like me, you thought God being in your life would make life easier. Am I right? better. I mean, I gave my life to Christ in college, and I thought, man, when I give my life to Christ, man, everything's going to be better. I mean, now I have Jesus. You add Jesus, like adding Pepsi, you know? Everything's better with, no, it's Coke. Everything's better with Coke. It's sort of what I thought with Jesus, like, maybe my hair will stop receding, you know? I thought, you know, I'm going to, you just sort of think that, and yet Jesus is in your life, and there's still hard times. One of my mentors from years ago who lost uh, his son in a small plane crash that he was actually in as well. He survived, his son died. Mick Yoder, met him through Family Life when we started speaking for the Family Life team. He says, he has a, a quote, he says, life wouldn't be so hard if we didn't expect it to be so easy. And we sort of have this perspective that once we give our life to Christ, it'll be easy. I don't think, it, I don't even know if it gets easier, but it gets better. And you know how to get through these times because you know there is a God who is faithful. And so what we're going to do today, last week we looked at Joseph who ended up in a pit, right? We're going to look at another guy today who sort of ends up in a, in a dark valley. His name was a prophet named Elijah. How many of you know Elijah? There's Elisha and there's Elijah. And Elijah is one of these incredible men and, uh, of the Bible and men of faith. He has some amazing stories, but a lot of us don't know the sort of the beginning of it. When Elijah begins his ministry, his call from God as a prophet, it's under a really, really, really evil king, 
King Ahab. In fact, if you know anything about the Bible in the book of First and Second Kings, it's one of these historical couple books that's stuck in the, in the very beginning uh, section of your Old Testament. It's really history, and it walks you through the nation of Israel and what God was doing. And you find out that there were 200 years of evil kings, 19 evil kings over 200 years, all evil. You know what the Bible says about Ahab? The most evil of all. So that's a pretty strong statement. This guy was about uh, temple prostitution, child sacrifice. Uh, They were murdered at the temple. I mean, this guy was ahead of all that. And he also married a very interesting woman. Anybody know her name? Jezebel. Now, you've probably heard the name Jezebel before because you use that name when you talk about what kind of women. Really uh, evil women because Jezebel led her husband Ahab to worship Baal a false god, B-A-A-L. And it just, evil was everywhere. And and by the way, can I say something to the single people? If you're not married right now, can I say something that every married person is gonna agree with me on? Be very, very careful who you marry. You hear what I'm saying? I almost married a Jezebel. Now that wasn't her name, but she worshiped a different god than I did. And I was in love with her. I became a Christian two years into a four, or three years into a four-year relationship, and I thought I was going to lead her to where I was and that we're going to have this happy marriage. Thank God I married that woman because she's the most amazing woman in the universe, and she's the farthest thing from a Jezebel you'd ever meet because she's in love with Jesus. I mean, she inspires me, and it's very critical who you do partnership with in your life, even in business and anything, but especially in marriage. Just, I just want to say, I just had to stop for a second and say, very, and I'm, I'm not calling your, the person you're dating a Jezebel, okay? I'm not saying that. But if they worship something that's the most important thing in your life and they worship something else, just don't do what a lot of us do. I'll change her. I'll change him after. Married people, do they change after? A little bit, <laughs> but not that much, Right? And so I'm just saying, one of the worst things that King Ahab ever did was married this woman, and I'm not blaming her for where he went, because he went there in his own choice, but they led the nation into evil. And so what, what happens? God comes to Elijah. Elijah's this faithful follower of God, and he says, Elijah, I need to send you to the king with a message. I'm sure Elijah's like, can you send somebody else? This guy doesn't like us God followers, and they worship a different God, and I could get killed for doing this. No, Elijah says, here I am, send me. And so he goes. And so in 1 Kings chapter 17, we read what the message was. It says, now Elijah, the Tisbit from Tisbe and Gilead, said to Ahab, so he's literally speaking the words of God. He said, as the Lord of God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next four years except at my word. Now, What we need to understand about this is Baal was known as the God of what? Rain. (laughs) And the God of fertility. So God has given Elijah a message that is going right to the heart of what they believe their God can do. He can bring rain. And he says, no, God has sent me to tell you there will be no rain in this area for a long time except at my word. That's like walking right into the to the, the, to the leader's office and saying, everything you say is wrong, what I say. I mean, it was, it was a very strong word. And then it goes on. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here, turn eastward, and hide in Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan. Now, here's what you and I don't know just by reading the Bible, but Elijah knew what Kareth Ravine was. Kareth means cut off. He's sending him to Death Valley. That's where he sent him. It's like, wait, 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 wait. I just did what you told me to do. You're sent where? Kareth? Ravine? East of the Jordan? And it goes on to say this. You will drink from the brook, and I have directed the ravens to supply you with food there. Why? There wasn't food and really much moisture there. He says, so he did what the Lord had told him. He went to the uh, Keith Ravine, Kareth Ravine, east of the Jordan, and stayed there. The ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. Now, you read that part and you think, oh, okay, so I get it. So God asked him to do something. He does it. He doesn't disobey. He, he does it. It looks like God's sort of punishing him by sending him to this dry, drought, dark valley. But even in that valley, God provides, right? Isn't it pretty cool? He brings ravens. He gets food. He brings well, dew in the morning. He's going to be taken care of. So it's like that's how the Christian life is, right? Sometimes we have to do hard things, but even in hard things, everything's wonderful. Am I right? God will meet us right there, and it's just wonderful. 
Well, it is for a while. And then look at the very next verse. I could have put it together, but I separated it. It said, sometime later, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. So what's happening? The very thing that he prophesied would happen is happening. The brook dries up, and there's no water to sustain Elijah's life. And here's the thing I thought. I stopped right here because I thought, some of us feel that right now. It's like, God's led me. I've obeyed him. I've, I've done what he's asked me to do. I'm, I'm being true to my faith and, and to his word, and yet it feels like I'm in a dried-up brook right now. It feels like I'm getting hit right now. Anybody feel that? I think a lot of us are feeling some of that right now. Some of you are doing really well. Some of you have lost jobs. Some of you have lost family members. Some of you have lost, I mean, it, it's a scary time. And it feels like where we started today, we're asking the question, God, why? And where are you? It feels like my life is in some ways drying up. And it's really interesting. As I said before, we have this perspective that if we follow God and obey him, everything will be good or at least much easier. Some of you have heard me say this before, but I literally thought when I gave my life to Christ, my junior in college, the, my God at that time was my football career. I was on a full scholarship to play quarterback at, at, at the university, and I'd just been named a preseason All-American based on my sophomore season. So I thought, man, I had Jesus this thing. It's going to be unbelievable. Long story short, I end up in the hospital in week eight with this knee that I still can't get straight. Already had surgery on this one, now this one. I lose my starting job and I'm benched going into my senior year because I couldn't do spring ball because I'm rehabbing this knee my senior year. And I remember laying in the hospital bed at Ball Memorial Hospital from Ball State University, literally looking up at the ceiling in this hospital room going, this is what happens when you give your life to Christ? It was so much better without you. God, I'm the guy here, preseason All-American. Now nobody knows who I am. I didn't even make all conference. And I'm laying in a hospital bed because I brought you in my life. That's called lament right there. I just modeled for you what the book of Psalms is. Like, are you here? And here I am, tell you, years later. And I, and I discovered it even before I left that hospital. He's right there. See, what I thought was one of the worst moments of my life I look back now and know that God was not only in my pain, he was preparing me for something through that. I really believe this. God does his best work in our lives, in our pain. We don't want it. We try to run away from it, but he does his best work. A.W. Tozer, I read his book uh, one of the first years in my Christian walk called The Knowledge of the Holy in fact, I pulled it up today and I thought, I got to read this again. It was such a pivotal understanding of who God is. A.W. Tozer was a pastor in Chicago. And he's famous for this quote. Maybe some of you have heard. It's doubtful that God can bless a man greatly until he has hurt him deeply. It's doubtful that God can bless a man or woman greatly until they've gone through pain. Pain is that refining area. And again, we don't want it. We try to avoid it at all costs. We, we believe that if we do the right things, God won't let any of that into our life. And yet God often uses the darkest, hardest moments of our life to build us. Now, I gotta be honest. I was gonna go right now to three thoughts, but I gotta tell you the rest of the story before I do because it doesn't end right there. I'll, I'll, I'll read it to you really quick. But go home and read this in 1 Kings 17 says, then the word of the Lord came to him. Now, remember, this is uh, Elijah in, a, in Death Valley with no water. And it says, the Lord, Lord, word of the Lord came to him and said, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. One thought, just by the way, just a, a, a subtle thought. God often will meet your needs. God often will reveal himself to you. How? Through other people. Are you looking right now to see where is God revealing himself to me through a person? It could be somebody you know. It could be somebody you've never met before, like Elijah, never met this widow. And yet God's going to reveal to him, I'm right here. I've got you. I'm going to take care of you through a person that if he didn't have his eyes looking, God, are you here? God, are you here? He would have never known God is right here in this widow. It goes on to say this. So he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so they may have a drink? Stop again. When you're really hurting, 
You need to ask for help. When you first read this, you're like, gee whiz, Elijah, you're asking some person you don't even know for help? He's hurting. He needs water. It's okay to ask for help. That's what the church is. If you're not asking us for help, we can't help you. If you're not asking the people sitting around you for help, they don't know. So many people in the church hide in their pain. They keep their pain a secret and nobody ever knows. And then they blame God for never helping them. God says, I want to help you, but you got to ask. And often you got to ask a person because I put people around you, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your workplace, maybe in your school, maybe in this church, I don't know. But he's put them around and if they don't know what's going on, we can't help. But if we do, look what happens. You go to the next point. It says, and as he was going to get it, he called him, bring me peace, please, a piece of bread. He keeps asking. As surely as the Lord God lives, he replied, I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. So what's going on in her life? She's lost hope. We barely have enough to make it to Christmas. And then we're probably going to die because I have me and my son and I have to take care of them. There's no way I can take care of you, buddy. I'll try, but you're asking for too much now because basically I've given up on God and God's given up on me and it's the end. But look what happens. It said, Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said, but first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. You know what he's asking her to do right now? Trust God. This is ridiculous. Wait, wait, wait. You want me to take care of you first? It's like you want me to put the mask on me before my child? No, no, no. You want me to take care of you first before me? It says, yes, take care of me and let God work. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, Elijah went on, the jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. He is prophesying to her what the Lord told him and asking her to believe it. I got to tell you, she could have said, okay, thanks, dude. You're a little nuts. (laughs) You're obviously not in touch with reality right here. You didn't hear what I said. We'll see you later. I'm going to take care of me and my boy. Or she could take a small step of faith and say, maybe God can be trusted. And look what happens. She went away and did as Elijah told her. What did she do? She, She believed So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family, for the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. See, I almost left you with a guy in Death Valley with no water and and you would have missed all this. I was gonna say, go home and read it, but I knew most of you might not do that. So I wanted to read it for you. Is that a great ending to the story? Yeah, is that how it always ends? In some ways, yes. I know you're saying, well, yeah, but my, my friend died. Yeah, well, now they're in heaven. I mean, it doesn't always make itself apparent in this life, but in the end, God is always faithful. And sometimes, actually many times, he shows up in miraculous ways like this. Not every, it isn't always that kind of miracle, but it's always some kind of miracle that you and I can trust God. So whatever you're going through right now, whatever I'm going through right now, it's been a tough year. It's been a tough year for you. It's been a tough year for me. It's been a tough year for the Wilsons. God is faithful. He will provide through ravens, through people you don't even expect. He will provide, and his presence is real. So now it's time to talk about, let's, let's, let's get a couple thoughts from this. And here's my biggest truth of the day, and it might be the only thing we cover, but it's the biggest truth of the day, and it's just simply this. God often does his best work in our valley. God often does his best work in our valley. And I know you're just like me. We like to avoid valleys. We like to avoid droughts. We like to avoid pandemics. We just want to get through it. God is at work right now in our valley. Am I right? He's at work in your valley. And I know it's really hard, but it's where God does his best work. Now, I'm not saying he doesn't do uh, great work and prosperity as well, but through adversity, often the thing that we want to run from, God says, if you will look for me, I'm right in the middle of this. And I'm not going to tell you when I'm going to deliver you out of this or through this, but I'm here and there will be an end to this. But hold on, because I'm doing some incredible work in you right here, right now. I wrote this down. If you want to write down three thoughts, here they are. Our pain invites his presence. Our pain 
invites his presence. Why do I say that? Because through our pain, he is knocking at our door saying, I'm here, I'm here, will you let me in? And here's what most of us do. Nope, I'm blaming you for this. This is your fault. I don't want anything to do with you. You can choose that route. And let me tell you, it's not gonna go well. You're gonna be hurt and discouraged and probably angry, not only at God, but at people and even at the church. I'm just telling you, we're going through adversity, you're going through adversity, I am, we're going through valleys, you can go through it and it can make you better or it can make you, yeah, you've heard me say that a million times, but it's, we're back there again. Our pain actually is an invitation. God's saying, I am willing to come in and help, let me in. But if we do that, he's a gentleman, he'll, he'll let us go through it. But if we say, I need you. I remember it's been, I don't know, a decade or so now when I was in the uh, Troy Baumwine Hospital uh, getting ready Actually, I was sleeping in my own bed and I was gonna be uh, the first surgery in the morning for my back surgery. And many of you heard that story and I'm not gonna go through it, but I had sciatica and I couldn't function. It was so bad. And I'm going in finally to have my back surgery. And I tell you, Ann's laying there and I'm laying there and we gotta be at the hospital at 5 a.m. And I thought, you know, I'm a man of faith. God's brought me to this point. I'm finally gonna get this uh, fixed. And I'm just gonna, and I'm laying there that night and Ann hadn't come into the room yet. And I am so scared. Anybody ever been there? I mean, petrified. I just started, started seeing images and I did the thing you should never do. I went online the day before and I looked at back surgeries. I'm like, oh, why did I do that with hammers and saws and drills? And they're gonna do that near my, my sciatic nerve. And you know, I had those in my head and I just laid there and I was scared to death, scared to death. I'm like, God, I am, I am petrified with fear. I'm, I'm not gonna do this. I'm gonna just walk around with sciatica for the rest of my life. Instead of, you know, I was literally at that point and I'm like, God, I need you. And I felt like he led me to Psalm 34. And I hadn't read Psalm 34 in a long time. What a psalm. It was exactly the truth I needed to be reminded of. Because one of my favorite verses is Psalm 34, 18, where it says, and I'm, I'm just laying there in bed, and I'm reading this before I have to go into surgery, and I'm reading, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. And I'm reading that, and I'm like, oh, you've got me. You've got my back. Come on, that was funny. That was funny. Wasn't that funny? Back surgery? Okay. No, I mean, I remember it just that truth from the word of God was like God inviting himself in and saying, I've got this. And I tell you what, Ann was there. When I walked in the next morning, it was like, it's okay. We're going to get through this. And now I could do whatever I want. I mean, the pain was gone the second I woke up. Well, I had to get through the, you know, the rehab part. But I mean, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. And my buddy just went through it last week. Uh, Ryan Coral, who went to the same doctor, ended up getting COVID after it. So that guy got a double whammy and he's fine. Everything's good. But it's like God invites, our pain invites his very presence. He is present with you in your pain. Do you believe that? It's true. And you can yell at him and you can curse at him and you can say, but he is right there. And if you're crying, he's crying with you and he's wrapping his arms around you. One of the most precious things in my life right now is our little grandson, Bryce, Cody and Jenna's little guy. When he comes over, he did the other day, he spent the night with, with uh, Nani and Poppy and we're sitting there in the family room and he's almost two and you know they're gonna have another one and Five or six weeks, so number two is going to go on. Wait till they see what two is like. But anyway, you know, uh, so he, he's, we're on, the, we're on the family floor, and we're doing this thing, and he just turns to me, and he just gives me a bear hug around my neck. Just says, Poppy, what do you say? I love you, Poppy. It was just the most precious thing. I look at Ann. She's got tears in her eyes. I'm like, that's what God is inviting himself to in our pain. For us to go, Poppy, I need you. I'm afraid, I'm scared, are you here? And he's gonna whisper, yeah, I've got you. You think you're holding on to me? I'm actually holding on to you. His presence is real in our pain. And I said this a few months ago, but I wanna repeat it. God can use our pain to help others. God will use our pain to help others if we let him. See, that's on us. We can resist it. We can, 
uh, you know, not allow his presence in our pain, but if we do, he actually will walk with us to the point where one day he will use our pain to help others. Some of you might remember, I, I stated, a, uh, I don't know, several months ago when we were talking about this topic of trials and adversity before. Some of you might remember one of our slogans here about you and about who walks in our church every weekend is, see if you can, if you can finish this statement, never underestimate what? Anybody remember? The pain in the room. It's one of our slogans we've talked about backstage. It's like, don't underestimate. People walking in here are really hurting. Not everybody, but there's, there's pain in here that's unimaginable. You think over it, because church sort of the place we put on the mask, <laughs> literally and figuratively, and we cover up our pain. And we sort of pretend that we're not hurting when many of us are really hurting. Never underestimate the pain in the room. And I'll never also forget what Cody told me about that statement. He said, but also never underestimate the power of God to work in that pain or whatever way he said it. It was like, yeah, we, we can talk about one side of it and it's true, but the other side is just as true. Elijah was in a death valley with no water and the other side of it was God was right there and was about to do something miraculous. So both are true. So don't just overestimate our pain. Don't underestimate that, but also don't underestimate what God can do and wants to do in you, but then through you to help others. Because here's the second thought. You guys are like, how many points are you gonna make? Just three. Maybe not three, just two, really. First one was our pain invites God's presence, but our second one is our, God, our pain reveals God's purpose. And I tell you what, this did not, I don't think I comprehended this until this year in my life. That God often, through our pain, reveals to us what we're supposed to do with our lives. And if you want to add a third one, it, he doesn't just reveal our purpose, but he reveals the people that we're going to do life with. It's that simple. Through our pain, we discover our purpose. And through that purpose, we end up in community with people that are in similar situations than we are. Think about that. It's so interesting to think about. The thing we don't want in our life, pain, and we often run away from, if we will embrace, God will use that to not only show us, this is what I created you for as you got through this, I can now use you to help others going through the same thing, and you're gonna be connected with people you maybe have never met because you share a common pain. Does that make sense? I mean, many of you know what Ann and I are going to do after December in our future life, and that's help marriages around the world through writing. Our, book, our parenting book comes out in April. Our marriage book came out two years ago. There's things that God has been doing in our lives. Where did that all get birthed of, this, 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 this angst and this passion for marriage and family? A divorce of my parents when I was seven years old. That was painful. And I used to lament about that for decades and I'm not saying it wasn't painful, and I'm not saying that the pain just went away, but I'm saying, oh my goodness, God used that to birth in me and Anne a passion to help families not be broken. Where'd that come from? A broken family that I tried to run away from. Now it's like, no, I need to embrace this. God wants to use this, and he's put us in contact with other people that have the same passion. You know the thing that's driving me crazy about the election in 2020 and 2016? and maybe 2012, is nobody was talking about the family. Why is nobody talking about the reason we have this division, the reason that things are going on in our country, is there's no dads in the homes. One out of three people don't have a dad in the home. Families are breaking up. That's where stability starts. It doesn't start in government. It starts in the home and out of the home, to the, to the neighborhood, to the city, to the states, to the world. Nobody's talking about that. So that's like, can you tell me I'm getting a little fired up? That's out of my pain. It's like, we got to help this. We got to do something about this, not only in our country, but in our world. Where did that all come from? Pain pointed to a purpose. And for a long time, it was a purpose just here with this church, which is awesome. But God said, I want to blow this up to the world, not just 10,000 people in a city. I want to blow this up. I don't know what he's going to do, but he wants to restore the family. And we want to be a part of that. That all came out of pain to purpose. And I got to show you one, yeah, I got time. I want to show you one quick visual that I used maybe two or three years ago because I went through a weekend that we call live training here. If you've never been through live training, you got to do it. Right now, it's probably Zoom. We're not doing it in person yet. Uh, but we went through it, Ann and I, in the basement of Becky and Don Lee's house with a couple other people. Uh, it was unbelievable, Dave Gibbons. And he has a, a, a visual that explains this pain thing. Let me show it to you. And this is just me taking a picture of this from the workbook, so it's not perfect. But start at the bottom. 
See that little ball all wrapped up in hospital tape and bandages? That's our pain. And here's the choice when we have pain in our life. We can cover it, which I've already said, the church has been really good at covering pain, sort of the place you go to just pretend, or we can confess it. What's the word confess mean? I speak it out. I take it out of the secrets and I tell somebody, I'm hurting. This is the pain I'm going through in my life, right? And what happens? We start to embrace it. And again, I'm not saying we love it. I'm not saying we jump up and down and go, I'm so happy that I'm going through this right now. No, no, no. But we start to say, okay, this is hard. But instead of pushing God away and pushing my pain away, I'm going to try and understand, God, what are you doing? Are you here? Is your presence here? Is there a purpose in this for me? So as we embrace it, here's what Dave Gibbons was saying. It becomes a guide. That's what a guide is. See a little picture? There's a guy pointing. That's a guide to our gift to the world. Do you see that? And it all starts at the bottom. We either cover it or we go on a journey. And that's what today is all about, basically. How to take a hit well is we go on the journey. And we speak out into the light that which is hurting us in the dark. And it will become something that God will use us to be guides to other people going through it. I'll close with this. In uh, 2 Corinthians 1, Paul writes these words. It's so incredible. He says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort. By by the way, just a reminder, you need comfort in this time? There, There it is. He's the God of all comfort. Look at this. Who comforts us in our troubles so that, that's a purpose statement. This is your purpose. He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we have ourselves have received from God. Do you understand what that means? That when you go through that journey and you see God meet you in the middle of your darkness, in the middle of that valley, and is your comfort, all your comfort, he says, I'm not only doing that to you, I want to do that through you now to comfort others. Do you understand? The people that help others the most are the people that have been broken the most. Because they've gone through something and they've seen God meet them there many times in miraculous ways with a comfort and a peace and a presence they couldn't muster up themselves. This is supernatural. It's something people on the outside can only watch. You can't access it until you're in Christ. But once you're in Christ and you believe and you say, he is my Savior, he is my Lord, he is my master, he is my boss, he is my CEO. When he is running your life, there's a presence, there's a power, there's a purpose that you can't even explain. And I'm not saying it isn't hard, it's really hard, but in the middle of that, he's right there. And there's a peace that people look at and go, how can you have this peace? I'm going through the same thing and I am in anxiety. And you have something like, uh, it's him, it's not me. And then when you experience that, he says, okay, through that pain, I've given you your purpose and I'm gonna point you to people that need what I've given you and you can show them the journey to the face of Jesus. You know, there's this um, song that I've been, it's a really old song. I've been sitting in my office singing, and you guys know, Dave's not a singer, I know, I'm a, I'm a player, I'm a guitar, I'm not a player, I'm a guitar player. <laughs> I didn't mean to say it that way. Um, but there's this simple chorus, I'm not gonna have you sing it because we got two great songs to end the day with. But, um, Carrie Job sang this, I don't know, decades ago. And it's just so simple about when you're going through trials. It's just a reminder. I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. Isn't that a great reminder? I am not alone. I am not alone. You will go before me. You will never leave me. You are with me. Redeem me. You call me as your own. You are with me. You redeem me. You call me as your own. I am not alone. Look at that. He's joining in. I am not alone. You will go before me, 
going to end it here. A little walk up. Father God, as we close out the day singing words of truth, may the songs that we sing to worship you, the only true king, you are the God of all creation. You are the God who's in control. You are the God who is with us right here in the valley. We are not alone. I am not alone. I am not on my own. I am not left to my own power. But your Holy Spirit's supernatural presence is real and available, and you invite us to experience your presence and your power and your purpose and even your people in the middle of taking a hit this year. So Lord, we surrender right here to you. And Lord, we wanna trust you. I pray today is a day of deliverance or turning for someone from pain and anger and questioning to you to say, okay, God, I'm done fighting. I want to know you like never before. And I think I can get to know you the best in the middle of this pain. So Lord, I bow the knee to you. I step into your presence. I step into your purpose. I'll even step into your people. And Lord, I ask you to meet us, to meet me right here, right now. And Lord, even as we Stand and lift our arms and praise you in the middle of this pain. God, meet us as we worship. Pray in the King's name, the name Jesus. Amen.
For a couple minutes, something I hope you're doing on your own every day this week. We just went vertical. Something changes when you go vertical. Here's what happens. We tend to live our life by what we see, not what he says. And when you go vertical, you're like, oh no, I forgot. It's what you say that's true, not just what I see. Please don't start your day with the New York Times email that I get every morning. I'm not saying don't read it. Don't read it first. Because if you read that, it just discourages you. Go vertical. I tell you what, I know some of you maybe aren't into singing. I'm telling you, it doesn't matter. Put it on if you don't want to sing it or sing it. The other day, I thought Ann had left the house. I'm up in my studio, and I grab my guitar, and I just start singing. And she runs in the studio and goes, oh, we're singing this morning? I'm like, oh, I thought you were gone. I thought I was all by myself. And we just sang together. 
about who God is for a few moments before we walked in today. And I'm not saying that's good for, I'm saying that's what you and I need to do. That's one of the worst things happening right now is we can't gather to do this, but you can do this where you are because God's presence, purpose, and people are right there. If you need prayer, and man, today's a day, we talked about being in the valley. Our prayer team's right back there. They would love to help you walk through that valley by just taking it vertical to God. God bless you. See you next week. Have a great week. See ya. You've been listening to the Kensington Church Podcast. If you've enjoyed this recording, check back weekly for new content. You can find Kensington on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and of course, at kensingtonchurch.org.